You're listening to It's Real Life Podcast. Real hope. Real love. Real Real life. Well, hello and welcome once again to It's Real Life Podcast. I'm Deborah F. Bell, and I'd like to bring to the stage my boy, the one and only, the voice himself, <laughs> Mr. Chris Davis. Come on hey, in the room. Hey, 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 hey. What's <laughs> going on, good people? I'll tell you what. You know what? I'm going to have to pay you for that. Uh, you do it. <laughs> You are polished, girl. You know what I'm saying? I have my whole host with the most, you know, the other half of the dynamic duo already ready. I can't, I can't follow that. What do I do with that? <laughs> I am super glad to be here. So I'm excited about our guest. Why don't you uh, go and bring her in the room, Deborah? Yes, yes, yes. So uh, following our current series, we are talking with leaders from across the globe about leaders in distress, hope for troubling times. And we're, we're really keying in and wanting to offer hope to our audience who are struggling with things during these times. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. We just finished uh, a winter storm across the country and really hot, hitting hard here in Texas. Some people are still recovering. And we just want to offer some hope for how to get through troubled times. So today, we have with us uh, a friend, a new friend, a Facebook friend, somebody I met through Dr. Conti Terrell. We all three had brunch together one day, and it was so lovely to meet this particular individual. Uh, She is an author. She's a playwright. uh, She is a dynamic personality. She's executive producer at uh, the Cam Hill Show. Uh, And we'll get to hear a little bit more about some of the other things that she has her hands in. So Diana N. Patterson, come on in the room, sis. Thank you. Thank you. I am truly, truly honored to be here with Deborah and Chris, two of the most amazing people I've ever met. I always laugh when I say, you know, you can meet people through Facebook or through others and fall completely in love with them. And I'm telling you right now, I already am in love with these two wonderful human beings. So thank you so much. I'm so honored to be a part of your platform today. Well, we are especially glad to have you with us. Um, I want to start the conversation off with a little bit more background about you, Diana. So we know uh, author, playwright. Um, we know, you know, your executive producer at Cam Hill Show. Tell us a few other things to kind of help our audience get to know who you are. Oh my goodness! <laughs> well, my I call it my my. My, my side gig, but my day job is actually I am a trainer. I'm a training specialist for the Department of Family and uh, Family and Protective Services, Child Protective Services. I've been with the agency for seven years. Uh, I started off in investigations, and then I was a supervisor for family-based safety services for two and a half years, and I'm now training um, at all levels in the agency. So I'm really honored uh, to do that. I'm also 
a child advocate. I'm a certified life coach and personal development consultant. And people call me a public speaker, but I'm not. Let me just be clear. I am not a public speaker because I am terrified of speaking in large crowd, crowds. But what I am is... <laughs> I would not have imagined I promise you that. I am. I, would not. I am a storyteller. And what I have to do a lot of times is when I'm given the subject matter for which I am to speak, I have to relate it to a story of some sort. I have to be able to pull in a human component and then I can speak. So no, I am not a public speaker, people. Please do not call me for public speaking. But if you want a storyteller, <laughs> I am your girl. Um, so I do that. Um, oh my gosh, there's so many things I do. I'm getting ready to get into film production. I'm, I'm going to do my f- first short film this this uh, summer. So I'm super excited about that. Um, I also... So is the film, is it going to be something that you've yes, written? Yes, it is. Actually, the film okay. is my play, A Few Good Men, but I'm doing... Uh, I'm go- I actually want to do a full film, but I want to start off with a short film. Um, and the film is okay. going to be amazing because if you saw the play, it goes more into the backstories of each character. So okay. you get a little bit more information in the film. Cool. Very cool. So some very interesting things that you're doing. Uh, How did you get into this creative space of writing and play, writing plays and uh, perform, performing, performing and that kind of thing? How did you get into that? You know, writing is my gift. It's innate. Um, It's something I've done since as far back as I can remember. And I've always also been a creative storyteller my whole life. In fact, I had so many imaginary friends when I was a little girl. And I'm telling (laughs) you, as far back as I can remember, I've been a creative spirit. And I mean, not just in the aspect of writing, but in all aspects of creative uh, 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 creativity. I mean, I, I'm dan- I, I do dancing and I'm talking about all the ballroom dances. I can do them all, even the Latin dances. Uh, I also, um, 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 I, I, I did plays when I was a little girl. So, um, I've been in all, spe- all aspects of, of creating. So I think that's just a innate, uh, gift that God gave me from birth. Okay. Do you sing too? Well, you know, this is the thing. I don't think I can sing. <laughs> People that hear me sing okay. say I can sing. Uh-huh. But it, it almost sounds okay. like uh, some of the greats that I wanted to sound So I'm going <laughs> to stay in my lane and say that I'm a good backup. Now, I can alto and harmonize with you all day, but you're not throwing me in front of no audience. No, ma'am. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Good, 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 good. So uh, the question that we posed to leaders that we've had on the show is this. Uh, Share with us one or two things, uh, experiences, troubling experiences that you've had to get through and share with us what brought you through those times. Mm. Well, I can tell you there are two major ones in my life. Um, There's more than two major, but there's two that I'm going to focus on today. The very first one was the death of my mother. Um, my mother died of lymphoma when I was 21 years old, um, and my little brother was 17. Um, she was 37 years old. She had me fairly young. So I just remember during that time, um, me and my mother had an estranged relationship for years. In fact, most of my life. Um, and I talk about that in a chapter in my book called Motherless Child. Um, and when I say estranged relationship, I was raised in a home with my mom for most of my life after she got me from foster care, but we weren't close. 
And uh, one of the blessings that happened in that last year of her life when she was diagnosed with cancer is that relationship that I longed for as a child that I really always wanted with my mother came to fruition. We became very close. I, beca I began to know her as a woman, not just as my mother, watching her strength and resilience experience um, until her last breath. Um, and it was very difficult for me after that because I was just in the very early beginnings of figuring out who I was as a young woman. And although I always had leadership qualities, in fact, I remember in kindergarten, children used to call me mama in kindergarten. So I think there was something oh, definitely wow. intrinsic and maternal in me from the very beginning. So I've always had leadership skills, but I didn't know my life path yet. And I was very confused because I felt like, you know, now that me and my mother are finally in that space where she could direct me and help me, and then she was taken away. So I would never say that I was angry with God, but I definitely questioned his plan during that time in my life. Um, mm -hmm. So that was one of those experiences. But one of the things I learned through that is my resilience and my strength and my courage to show up in the world and be who I am and, and, and be brave, or as be, uh, Dr. Brene Brown says in her book, dare greatly. And I really learned that through that season because it's something about not being able to lean on a person when you have to stand on your own two feet and realizing your strength and your resilience. You see it transparently in a way that you never saw it before. So that was one. Um, and then my second one was my divorce. Um, very, very difficult time in my life. Um, I went from our family um, had made six figures. I mean, we were doing very, very well, built a $500,000 home. My credit scores were in the mid 800s. I had like an 838 credit score. I mean, life was grand. And I was fairly young during this time. I was still in my early 30s um, and filed for a divorce and literally within a few years lost everything, everything. Um, and ended up having to leave Wisconsin with 32 cents in my pocket and start all over. And no one could have told me during that time that that was God's plan. I mean, I was so broken, um, felt alone. I didn't see myself, self-worth or my value. Um, definitely, again, questioned God and what he was doing in my life. And when I moved to Atlanta, I started journaling. My daughter knew I loved to write and I was creative. So she said, mom, you need to journal. And she really birthed me through rebirthing the queen that I am and just reminding mm. me, all four of my daughters consistently reminding me every day that I am a queen and not to lose that queen within me. So it was that that support network of, of knowing who was really in my corner and, and, and for, so to speak, who was down from me during that time that really pushed me and encouraged me to stand up and show up in the world and be the woman that I was preordained and predestined to be. Awesome. Awesome. It, it is, uh, there's a thread that I heard through your story and, and that says something about learning even through adversity. Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, I love the title of my book. So the title of my book is Everything Grows in the Valley. But I think a lot of people miss the important aspect of that title is the subtitle, which is a story of redemption and learning to embrace life's adversities. Because that's indeed what we should do. We should embrace those things that stretch us and give us uh, 
you know, that, that, that make us feel pain and brokenness. We should lean into those moments. And, and as fearful as it is, that is where our real growth is. That's where, that's where, that's what births that greatness out of us. I really believe that, that, that pre, predestined, preordained uh, purpose that we have, I think is birthed from that place. Mm. That is a very intriguing thought because it's not necessarily how we see adversity nor how we handle mm. adversity uh, in our lives. Mm. Has that always been your thought process and how you managed adversity or has, did that happen later um, in your life? You know, strangely enough, my life was adversity. My, as a matter of fact, for those who read my book, my very first chapter talks about how I was molested at three years old in a foster home. So I think that it was innate for me. I think that it was just, I was, I was taught early on through life experience to be resilient, to push through, to see the silver lining. I don't ever not remember being that. I'm what, and I'm also one of those people that sees the best in others, not just in myself, but in others. And I'm so forgiving that I think forgiving is a gift for me because I don't know how to hang on to hatred and hurt. I just keep it moving and I let go and I release it and give it to God because I know that I can't function at my highest capacity holding on to that cancer of hatred and self and and, and, not, and unforgiveness. That that is a very applaudable perspective when it comes to dealing with adversity and with people who have caused pain mm -hmm. in in your life. So, Chris, uh, where do you stand as you hear Diana's story um, and this whole thing of of turning? Turning, I'll say it a different way, turning your scars into stars. <laughs> you know mm. what? You already know I'm over here chomping at the bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you something. I'm going to start, I'm going to kind of rewind back into uh, part of what, what um, Diana was sharing. Um, when, she, when she pulled in uh, some of what she gleaned from Dr. Brene Brown. I am a Brene Brown fan. I um, mean, she does a lot of work. I mean, she's, I think she's in Houston, as a matter of fact. She's a professor there. Yes, right? she is. Yeah, yes, and so she she's done a mm -hmm. lot of work in the area of uh, vulnerability and shame and unpacking uh, and, mm -hmm. and dismantling it so you can kind of see it for what it is. Um, mm -hmm. And it sounds to me uh, like, Diana, that you have used a lot of that, uh, those, those nuggets of wisdom and that insight to really see the opportunities that have been gifted you in the suffering that you have experienced or lived through. Um, mm. And I think that's a really critical piece that I really love for you to kind of uh, walk through a little bit further through um, for the leaders who are listening. Because I'll tell you what, one of the greatest challenges for most human beings, period, is being able to see it for what it is. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know what I mean? You know how it, from a relationship mm -hmm. standpoint, you know, counselors will tell you that, you know, it's not about the socks on the floor or the hair in the mm. sink. It's not about the toilet seat, right? It's usually mm -hmm, about something mm -hmm. much, much bigger. Uh, mm -hmm. um, oftentimes, Jesus would use parables of bigger, more massive spiritual concepts and use mm -hmm. parables in, in, in pieces and ways that we could digest it. So he's talking to farmers and he'd use a farmer, uh, a farming or agriculture analogy, something that they could resonate with to help mm -hmm. them grasp a much bigger, broader concept. And, mm -hmm. and it sounds like what you have done 
as you have you have tapped into the 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 uh, the gem and the jewel, the treasure that is found in some of those experiences that we have suffered mm-hmm. and we've endured. Mm-hmm. What would mm-hmm. you say when you think about and, and knowing that there's an, a captive audience uh, who is who is going to whose lives are going to be better uh, because they have had an opportunity to hear your story? What are two or three pillars that you have gleaned from some of these really weighty experiences that you've had in your life? Um. One of them is there's some nuggets in the back of my book. Um, I say what I've learned. And one of them for me is that you are your greatest resource. Often when we are aspiring to do something in our life, when we're aspiring to build our business or uh, whatever it is that we aspire to do, we start immediately looking outward. Who's going to help me? How am I going to get there? And the first thing I want to say is you have it within you. I just believe that God designed us in such a way that whatever we're purposed to do in life, he has already given you the internal resources to get it done. It's just a matter of staying committed committed, and staying the course. So that would be one, just knowing and believing in yourself that you can do it. Number two, one of my pre- favorite professors in undergrad school said something that resonates with me to this day. And as you know, I'm in my late 50s now, and I can tell you that to this day it stays with me. And that is, uh, he said, it doesn't matter where you fell, it's what tripped you that matters. And one of the things that I have been able to do over the course of my life is go back and do the work about what tripped me. What did I fall over? Why am I, how did I get here? What is it that makes me feel the way that I feel about the things that I do? That way I'm better equipped and I'm more emotionally cognizant of how I deal with the world and the people around me and how I show up in the world because leadership is a responsibility and I believe we're chosen into it. And as a matter of fact, I remember that in undergrad, we got into a debate in one of my classes as to whether or not leadership is innate or if it can be taught. And I was on the side of, and aired on the side of, I believe leadership is innate. I believe we are chosen to be leaders. I don't really think you can teach that to somebody. I think servant leadership, I believe, is a gift from God and everyone doesn't have it. So I think it's just really a matter of doing the work on yourself and not being able, being uh, apprehensive, I'm sorry, about reaching out and getting that help. If you need therapy, whatever you need to get yourself wherever you need to get, don't be afraid to put in the work. I think that's another one. And then um, trust in the process, trust the process. It may not be easy, but what I can tell you is it will be worth it. Wow, that is that is absolutely incredible because when you think about each one of those those pieces, it gives kind of a comprehensive feel because most leaders find themselves in those places like okay, like I love that 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 that, that what you said about finding what tripped you, what tripped mm-hmm. you up. That mm-hmm. is so good. Because mm-hmm. oftentimes we're trying to dissect other aspects of our experiences and not really to doing mm-hmm. the inward work. Like, wait a minute, what about right. me made that a trigger? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or what about mm-hmm. me made that something that would be effective in in delaying or detouring <clears throat> me versus something else? And I think that kind of inward work is so valuable for leaders. Not only yes. leaders, but you know, you can find yourself in relationships and friendships in any other area of life. 
Um, and then when mm-hmm. you start looking at, like you said, leadership being something that is a gift that God gives, um, yes. you know, if we find ourselves in positions of leadership, understanding who uh, put us there, right? Mm-hmm. And so then Amen. you start to dig yes. into purpose and, okay, what mm-hmm. are you trying to do? You know, what mm-hmm. is my, what am I supposed to be giving and receiving mm-hmm. in this position? Yes, you know? that part. Yeah, yes. I mean, that is so yes. good. And I'll tell you what, you know, because all of us, you know, I, I'll, I'll say this. Deborah and I, when we reconnected after years and years and years, because uh, we, we met in the early in the early 2000s, um, I moved away. We kind of moved around. Some different life experiences happened. And we reconnected. Um, and we there was a resonance of mutual experience in the sense that um, we have both lost our fathers um, in relative close proximity in terms of, you know, the, the length of time. Um, so I was still kind of dealing with uh, and reeling from and healing from uh, that. And she was, it was more recent for her. And so it was kind of a connect point. And we were trying, we were like talking about mutual kind of lived experience in that space mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how that experience really uh, God was using it to bring something else out of us, mm. make us more sensitive to some things that maybe we weren't sensitive to prior. Yeah. Um, seeing him uh, for who he is. You know, oftentimes the Lord reveals some aspect of his, of who he is in the midst of a challenge or a crisis. Mm, right. Yeah. And so how, how good that was mm. um, and, and how you have been able to kind of unpack some of that stuff. Yes. Deborah, what would you say, you know, when you think back to some of the things that you and I have talked to some of the, the experiences we've had, um, you know, be, having been married and, 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 and understanding what divorce feels like and, and the sting of some of these other lived experiences, what would you say uh, to some of what she's sharing? I think that, um, for our audience, your comments, your tips and tools are really going to help them in processing differently. I think for Chris and, and for myself, one of the things that we share is this other level of how we look at things mm-hmm. uh, from the spiritual, but also with a realistic kind of twist. And I think for both of us, we automatically go inward. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And I and I yes. think that's what a lot of people miss. Mm-hmm. That you have to understand what this experience means for you. Mm-hmm. And when you look at what it means, it is not just what somebody did to you, but what are you supposed to learn from it? Yes. yes. How is this experience yes. supposed to make you better? Mm-hmm. How is this supposed to build you up? Because we, what we know is that God in no way is trying to hurt us by allowing mm. what he allows into our lives. That's right. That's right. And so for to hear you talk about learning from adversity, it, it, we have to take that journey inward. Yes, yes. But in yes. the right perspective. Exactly, exactly. Not to beat ourselves up about it. Exactly. Not exactly. to feel like we did something terribly wrong. Well, mm-hmm. we may have, but mm-hmm. know that God can use that mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. pull something greater mm-hmm. out of us. Right, right. And to build something greater in us. Yes, yes. And I think yes. that's the perspective. That's what I'm hearing uh, as I hear you share uh, the, the, those nuggets from from your book. 
which is really, really um, amazing to help people find hope. Because mm. when neg- negative things happen, things that we, we look at as negative, we can't just, again, go negative with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have to look for the higher good. Yes, yes, exactly. The greater good. Yes, yes. Because it's there. It's there. Our pain has purpose. Oh, absolutely it does. I remember uh, I was married at the time and I was dealing with something really, really rough for me personally. And I remember my husband at the time saying to me, God is going to use this as a testimony. And he almost Mm -hmm. got cussed out right there. (laughs) (laughs) Poor thing. He's just trying to help. He's just trying to help. (laughs) But I couldn't see it. I could not see how God would use this thing that was so, that felt so terrible to me you know, as a testimony. And, and and I had to apologize because God really did use it. You know, yes. he really did yes. use it for me to be able to share with other women who were dealing with some similar things. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Yes. Indeed. Yes. What, what, what do you say? Because, Deborah, I know one of the things you have done, um, you know, you're a woman of, of many talents, <coughs> uh, but one of your gifts is uh, what you're doing with your coaching. And I, I'm curious, Diana, what, what would you say um, to a leader who is walking through some of these experiences about the value of, of I would say, two things. Having someone who can objectively uh, uh, just kind of walk with you as you walk through it, you know, kind of give you some insight with regard to your blind spots mm-hmm. and things that are, you experience that you can't see, mm-hmm. an alternate perspective. And then the value of writing that stuff down, mm. like you've written a book, you know, mm-hmm. what is, you know, what are those two things? The value of somebody walking with you and the value of writing the story. I'm going to start with the value of writing the story down. Cause for me, my book, what birthed my book in all, and I'll say this evolved into all the things happening, all these amazing things happening in my life right now started with me journaling. And I'm very introspective. So for me, the value of being in a situation where in that moment I felt I couldn't make it, I was even suicidal at times. And being able three months, six months, a year later to see what God has done for me and with me through that situation because of that situation only built my confidence up even more. And not just how much God loves me, but how much I'm purpose for greatness. So that's one, that introspective lens of your life gives you a whole different perspective about why you went through it and why you and how you got through it. So that's number one. And then I'm sorry, what was the second question? The second one was the second question was about um like like walking, coaching yes. or a counselor right. or having someone to walk well, with you. Well and, yeah. and and I promise uh, this is gonna sound like I'm a shameless plug because I am a certified life coach. But I will say this you have to have an accountability partner. And if you don't want to get a therapist or you don't have a support network or someone that can make you accountable for your life, accountable for your ambitions, accountable for those things that you say that you're going to do, it's it's wonderful to have someone that supports you and will tell you the ugly truth. Because when people paint it up too pretty, 
a lot of times we're going to lean into that because that's all we want to hear. But we need to see, we need that person in our life that's going to say, you know what? You messed up yesterday. And I think you can do better. And then hold you accountable to ensure that that better happens. So you need both those things. You need, I absolutely think every leader, every leader has to have those two things to be an effective leader. That's good. That's good because it is so, um, it creates an imbalance when we only get the good, we That's only it. get the pats on That's the back, it. we yes. only get the encouraging words. Mm-hmm. We need, I always say we need at least four people mm-hmm. <laughs> in our corner. Yeah, We need somebody, and one of those is somebody who will tell us the truth, That's whether we it. want to hear it whether or not. That part. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Because those people will push us to be real. Mm-hmm. With ourselves. With ourselves to understand that, uh, yeah, something is not right and you need to get it right. You need to work on it. Yes. (laughs) Because something else I believe is that there's a high level of transparency and authenticity that's required in leadership because people can see you. Absolutely. And often who we think we're showing them and who they're seeing a lot of times are two different people if we're not. So that authenticity and that transparency and being able to show up exactly who we are. And this is what you get, all the ugly grit of it, good, bad, and ugly, you're getting all of it. And that growth that comes with it is that collaboratively now you're growing with that circle of people. And they're watching you grow, which helps them grow. That's that's that iron sharpening iron. There you go, that part. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's good. That's really good yeah. stuff because I think that um, again, there has to be a balance, yes. and the transparency, the mm-hmm. authenticity, mm-hmm. is critical. Yeah. Especially, I'm going to say, especially now when people have gone through so much, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like um, they're 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 um, short when it comes to patience about some things Mm -hmm. and people being real is one of those things that is, is critical. Yes. Yes. People do not have time for the fake and phony. They don't want to see the representative. They want to meet you. Thank you. That part. (laughs) Yeah. And that means sometimes you need to show that you're not perfect. Yes. Yes. Be vulnerable. And don't be afraid of it. And that's a, and and Chris, speaking of Dr. Brene Brown, I love, she has a video on YouTube and I, you know, when I life coach, one of the first things I do is I require that my clients watch the power of vulnerability because especially for my male clients, because we've been socially constructed, especially men to see vulnerability as something negative. But I think in general society puts a negative connotation on vulnerability and vulnerability is how we show up in the world and and really allow ourselves to be seen. That is, 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 you can't love without vulnerability. You can't succeed without vulnerability. You can't, you can, there's so many things in life that we want that without vulnerability, without being able to put that shield down to say, I'm willing to do this no matter what, without it, you can't. 
So I think vulnerability is so huge, especially in leadership, because there's this concept that somehow you got to be this coarse, hard, strong. That's not leadership. That's fear. And that is just not a way to lead. You have to lead with love. You have to serve those that you're leading. Wow. You know what? That is that is so true. I think what I've what I've learned and she, you know, speaking of Brene Brown, she has a, a Netflix special. I know she's getting all these shameless. Yeah. Words. Man, goodness. I tell you what, <laughs> but hey, you know, if it blesses somebody, it blesses That's it. Uh, but she has what is called a call to courage. Yes, call to courage. Uh, she does. Super Amazing. What, yes. It really is. And I'll tell you what, I mean, it's, it's speaking of authenticity and vulnerability and men. I mean, I could go, we ain't got enough time. <laughs> You know, but, um, but, but we did talk about barriers to vulnerability in one of our podcasts. So mm -hmm. for our audience who hasn't heard that particular podcast, go there because I think there'll be some nuggets that will enhance the current conversation. Mm. Absolutely. Because mm. we, we dove in. <laughs> we dove in. And we probably going to have to have a, a, another, we're going to have to go back for seconds on yes. that one because it was super yes. good. But I'll tell you what I think is a superpower. Um, as we start looking at, you know, our current, um, just cultural and, and just what we're going through um, as a country, as a people, mm -hmm. as a community, as a, as a, as a mm -hmm. world, right? Mm -hmm. We're going, we've all collectively navigated trauma uh, on varying levels, depending on how the, what the impact of this, this uh, coronavirus has been mm -hmm. on our, on our mm -hmm. lives, you know, all the different things and the, the, the ripple effects. But I will tell you something, I think, and I've, I believe that vulnerability and, and authenticity or the willingness and the courage to be authentic mm -hmm. uh, is a superpower. Mm -hmm. I yes. really do. Yes. I, I think that when we are in relationships, mm -hmm. friendships, and, and working relationships and, and romantic relationships, the thing that we're looking for is authenticity, who you really mm -hmm. are, mm -hmm. right? And vulnerability, right? Because I think, like, like Brene Brown says, and so many of uh, the different things that she's done uh, publicly, she talks about how. The, the real courage, the real bravery is to show up and be mm -hmm. present as, as you, as yourself, right? right? Not the image, not the carefully constructed representative, you know, that we want people to think when we're mm -hmm. in church or when we're in the corporate mm -hmm. context or mm -hmm. whatever else, but who I am as, as um, I think uh, Beyonce said this, uh, flaws, flaws and all was one of mm -hmm. her songs, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, uh, 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 and so I think, I think that is really, really, really uh, meaty and weighty um, in your story, Deborah, in your story, in my story, uh, our willingness to show up as ourselves, mm -hmm. like who I and am, that, yeah. not what you think yes. I am, none of yes. that, you know, who yes. I really am. And that takes courage. It takes courage. Yeah. Um, and it's a journey. It is. It, 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 is. it is not how we present right. immediately. Right. We had to get, I had to get there. I'll yeah. speak for myself. Mm -hmm. I had to get there. Uh, because you said it earlier, Diana, we are socialized in certain ways that prevent us from being authentic mm -hmm. and vulnerable mm -hmm. because we're socialized to be strong. Yes, yes, yes. We, we have to be strong. Right, right. And especially you know, when you tie it into leadership. It's something yeah. about, yes, exactly. I agree. Yes. Well, here's a question. I'm going to tease this out a little bit, uh, Deborah. That was a great comment and i think um you you two uh incredible women have demonstrated this in some of your the the accomplishments that you have achieved in your lives 
what is it about being strong? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it more specific. Being a strong woman, and then even more specific in Black History Month, being a strong Black woman. You know, how how do you do that? How do you navigate your your natural bent for the things that are unique to you as a woman, um, but being strong? And what does strong look like? Mm. Diana, you're the guest, okay. so you go first. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think it's first the ability to see yourself. See, a lot of times we want to present ourselves in a way that we expect others to see us. And I think the cause of courage for any Black woman is to see yourself first. See you. See your queen. Claim your queen. Because a queen is in all of us. And Every woman is, I believe this emphatically, that every woman is a queen. But it takes courage to show up in the world in such a way that you claim your crown and you wear it proudly. And you know, you don't sit it on the seat next to you. You don't put it on the floor. You wear that thing on your head and you wear it proudly. So it's really about being courageous enough to say, this is who I am. I am not going to diminish myself in any way because of your fear of my strength or my beauty or my courage or my intellect. I will not take on or diminish myself because of you. And that a lot of times is what we do. When we diminish, it's not always because we're insecure. Sometimes it's because we don't want to make others insecure. So it's really about being able to wear that crown proudly and say, baby, this is who I am. And if you can't take it, you're going to have to move out the way. Mm. Nice. Deborah. I really, I really like that, Diana, because when a person understands who they are mm-hmm. and they understand what God has put in them. Yes. It allows you then to take on that whole attitude of, okay, I'm going to use a phrase. It's so old school. I am woman, hear me roar. Come on, that part, (laughs) that part. Come on now. (laughs) But without causing anyone else, infringing upon anybody's, anyone else's idea of who they are. Right. I'm just going to be who I, I am, am in mm-hmm. all of my greatness and mm-hmm. all, all of the power, mm-hmm. all of the intellect, mm-hmm. all of who God created me mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. And when I came to know who that was, mm. I saw her in different situations yeah. before I knew who she really was. Right. Because in my corporate environment, so I'm from Mississippi. Right. And so I had this whole thing about justice and equality and and what's right and understanding that I was articulate and intelligent. And so when I was in that corporate environment, I could be all of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the people would look at me knowing where I'm from and go, but you don't sound like you're from Mississippi. Mm. But you don't, you know, so it was as though they were confused because I was intelligent and articulate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm. But I did not allow their confusion Mm -hmm. to confuse me. That part. I understood who I 
was. Right. So I got to see her before I really came to know her. Mm -hmm. So in those environments, a different person showed up. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to say this because I think it may help somebody at home in my marriage. I was much different. Mm. I backed up. Mm. Come on. I backed up and I stood in the background. Mm -hmm. I did I that. I stood in the shadows. I did it too. So that he could be mm -hmm. comfortable mm -hmm. taking the lead. Mm -hmm. And, and I, what I understood about that was I did him an injustice. Mm, that part. I did an injustice because God expected me to be who he made me to be, mm -hmm. even in that relationship. Yes, yes. Not that I would be hard and so strong mm -hmm. in that relationship, but I was not the partner uh, that he needed mm -hmm. and if I to may, come alongside because I stepped back. And if I may interject, that's another thing that really, it just makes my skin crawl, is how people relate strength like you can't be a woman in leadership and be feminine and soft and vulnerable. Yeah, you can yeah. absolutely can be both of those, all three of those things. Um, yes, you can. I have a workshop that I created called "Who Am I?" and in fact, it's the first chapter of my book because I really believe everything starts with our identity. And mm -hmm. the first chapter of my book is "Who Am I?" and then I have another chapter called "It Factor" that gives you the permission to hang on to your queendom. So yes. I deal with those issues in my book. Yes. And I think it's important for, for women to understand that you what you just said, that you can be all of who God created you to be, mm -hmm. knowing who what part needs to show up in the office, but the what part also needs to show up at home. Yes. There's still a strength that's that is uh uh needed there mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Here's a question for you, ladies. Um, and because I think you're absolutely right. And I think that I don't even know if I would even call it balance. I think it's just being nimble, I guess, in a way, because mm -hmm. you got to have to you got to wear different hats in different spaces. Yeah. I think that, you know, you know, I'm, you know, diving in parenthetically to the relationship dynamic. I think that there are some challenges with people who wear different hats in and I would say the wrong places, mm. you know, men or women who have, you know, high level corporate, uh, you know, roles who they, they wear the hat home when you need to put a different hat on. I think men and women sometimes make these uh, mistakes in relationships where guys, when your when your family needs, a, they need dad, they need husband. That's different than, you know, uh, supervisor, manager, CEO, CFO right. on the job. Right. Um, they don't need CFO boss at home. And I think uh, um, some of my, uh, a number of my really good female friends, especially my sister who spends a lot of time in corporate as well, you know, navigating the, the two different environments and being strong, but also being every bit, you know, the feminine gift mm -hmm. that God made you, right? Mm -hmm. um, that there's, and, and I was talking to some ministers who were uh, women ministers, right? Uh, women preachers. And and was saying, you know, that 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 part of what we are robbed of is when women preachers feel the need to mm. sound like men instead of mm. sounding like women. Like we don't need mm. more. You, you know what I mean? There's something mm -hmm. that God gifted you to say in, mm -hmm. in your flavor, right? And and I'm wondering 
from, you know, as you uh, you talked about the different spaces that women find themselves in and how to navigate that, how to be sweet, sensitive, nurturing, but still strong and what that looks like. I think there are some individuals, and I know for some of my guy friends who are in marriages uh, where there's some challenge in that space because, you know, you have a lack of what I believe y'all are gifted mm. to give. There's a lack of that in the home because she's strong. And I, now I'll say this also parenthetically. I have a really good friend um, who talked about being a black woman in America and the fact that black women, African-American women, uh, feel the pressure and the weight of holding up the, the, the whole race, mm. if you will. Um, because of the attack on the black man, because of some of the challenges that are that you mm -hmm. see surfacing there, um, and how women feel the pressure of holding up the family, holding mm -hmm. up the, you know what I mean? And so I don't know if y'all feel that or sense that, but maybe y'all could speak to that a little bit. Well, for me, I definitely, I can tell you that my ex-husband and I were definitely partners in my, our business, our preschool. And he often let me lead in the position of, going to the bank to acquire a loan, depending on who was going to be in the room when we had meetings with individuals. He always let me take the front seat because he felt as though he didn't get the same respect in those boardrooms, in those banks, in those environments and spaces that I got. So um, I do know oftentimes I would have to encourage him to be a part of that that meeting, that show up in that room in the same way that I did. Um, it was difficult at times, but um, I really do think that for me, I wanted that balance because I am, I believe in submissiveness. I believe in that. A lot of people don't understand that you can be a strong woman and still believe in being submissive. Um, if you have a, a strong, good man in your life that knows how to lead and that will Will, knows how to support you and be there for you. You can support him and have that submissive role in that relationship. I don't think that a marriage is a man. I think when, you, when you're married in a relationship where it's a man and a woman, I do believe the man has his role and the woman has her role. And it's really about standing in confidence and knowing my role as a woman and what I, and, and again, those are my core values, what I believe myself. And I don't allow society to dictate to me what that looks like. For me, it needs to be what it feels right for me, what I believe is supposed to be for me. And I think I kind of veered off your question a little bit because so many things are going on in my head at one time. <laughs> I think you, No, 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 that's, that's actually good. Yeah, I think you did a good job with that, Diana. Um, similar to you, I believe that in, in a marriage, I don't want to say everybody has a role because I don't want people to go traditional mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. that. But I do th believe that based on my experience and my gifts and my talents and my abilities, my strengths, that there are things that I might right. do well that traditionally may have been viewed as what a mm -hmm. man would do mm -hmm, and vice mm -hmm. versa. Because... And this may sound silly, but as an example, my ex-husband could comb hair so mm, much better than that me. That part. That so part. that meant <laughs> that meant he combed our daughter's right, hair. Right. Uh, he could mm -hmm, make a straighter mm -hmm, part than mm -hmm. I could. 
mm-hmm. some cuter ponytails mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. I could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I right. didn't do that well. Um, but I mm-hmm. made do the budget. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I think within the context of each relationship, the couple needs to define and figure out who does mm-hmm. what well. And let's walk in those lanes right. because right. it works. Right. Right. What yeah. really works. That is really exactly. what is important. I, my relationship and how I operate within that does not have to look right. like everyone else's. And when I say, yeah, I I'm do. Sorry. Go ahead. I do understand that um, what's required in the boardroom is vastly mm-hmm. different than what's mm-hmm. required at mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. And so, so that means there, there does need to be mm-hmm. some flexibility mm-hmm. um, and some shifting mm-hmm. and changing. I want to, to, to be, um, uh, I mm-hmm. want chivalry. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. want the door mm-hmm. open for me. You know, I want the flowers. Right, right. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) You know, I want to be able to lean Mm -hmm. on those shoulders. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. When I come home. And in the same way, I want to be able to give what my partner needs as well. I want to be the listening ear or provide the quiet because right now you just mm-hmm. want to see that game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Baby, you want some chips and a yeah. beer? Come yeah. on. That part. Yeah. Oh. What you want. That part. And I'm so believing in that. Yeah. Listen, that, yes. That and part. I'm telling you, Deborah, I'm telling you, I'm the same way. And I'm telling you, our candlelight dinner, whatever you need, I can be all those things. And when I say role, that's what I mean. We determine. Society doesn't determine right. roles. As a couple, right. as, a, as a man and a woman, we together determine where those roles fit in. But I'm telling yes. you, I could, and that, as a matter of fact, I think about that commercial. I know y'all gonna laugh because I know you remember this commercial. Anjali, I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in the pan, <laughs> and never let you forget that you're a man, baby. That was me, baby. I'm telling you. Yes. yes. <laughs> Listen, y'all talking. I, I, look, y'all talking. You hear me? But I, I'll say this. I, I had a really meaty, I'm so glad y'all said that because I had a really meaty conversation. My mother um, was as strong a woman as you could mm. as you could have. I mean, she was a former police officer. Wow. You know what I'm talking about? Like, mm. yeah, all that. So strong as strong could get. She was literally the first African-American uh, homicide detective in, uh, in, wow. in my home city in Indianapolis. I mean, like like game changer, yeah. like black history kind yeah. of, you know, kind of stuff, right? She's low-key about it, but I'm talking about strong. You, I ain't never seen a stronger woman. Right. But but there are some things that are unique mm-hmm. about her femininity that was so dope. But what she did for me and my brother, she he gave us all that stuff. So for, for us, we were as men, we loved mm-hmm. to cook. We were pretty good at it. Right. Mom made sure she was like, y'all like to eat. You're going to need to eat. So you have to know how to cook. So she taught us all that. She taught us how to, you know, wash our clothes, separate mm-hmm. them down. Don't wash mm-hmm. this with that. You know, look at the, you know. This this go only dry clean, you know. These kind of, you know, she told us something. She's taught us all that stuff. Taught us how to sew a a, a, a hem if it comes out, mm-hmm. put a button back mm-hmm. on. You know, what I'm talking about all that stuff. Um, and so when we came into relationships, one of the challenges that we had was we came equipped with all the stuff that traditionally, mm-hmm. like Deborah, as you were alluding to, that women were supposed mm-hmm. to be quote unquote mm-hmm. good at, right? But not everybody mm-hmm. was taught the same kind of stuff, and so. So we have experienced in relationships yes. some challenges because we were looking for a, a, the essence mm-hmm. of what a woman is, right? 
like, okay, and I, I, I remember in, in uh, a previous relationship saying this. I was like, baby girl, I got the hard part. I'm hard. I, I, I'm a man. I'm, I'm the warrior. I got that part covered. You know, I, I need the soft, the softness, the, 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 the mm-hmm. flower, mm-hmm. the strength of it, right? Yeah. But, but you know, and I, I kind of joke about this in our podcast. I say, you know, uh, we got kind of a beauty and the beast kind of deal. So I'm the beast, and there's only one role left, right? You know what I mean? But I kind of, you know, and I think in a lot of relationships, yes. it's that way, right? It's like, the guy, we're built for that stuff, right? And I think oftentimes, and the reason why I asked the question, I was, I was intentional because I know a number of brothers who are looking for the the that mm-hmm. that energy that softness mm-hmm. that is different Deborah as you said that's different than what you have mm-hmm. in the board yeah. at home you know what I mean and like you said I mean and, and it, it's kind of like a partnership right so look I you know you I may be better exactly. at frying the eggs mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. baking the muffins you know what mm-hmm. I mean I like it I'm good at it it's something like mm-hmm. this kind of comes mm-hmm. a little easier and right. she may be better with the budget well baby girl do the budget all day long do what you're good at mm-hmm. I don't have to control mm-hmm. the money you know what I mean? Because my the essence of who I am as a man is not you know tied to me oh, and how much mm-hmm. money I make or how the money's managed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm a man regardless, mm-hmm. right? At the end of the day, I'm just as much a man with the apron on baking these blueberry muffins, <laughs> right? Right, as I am chopping down a tree outside, right? Okay, and so and so because my brother, one of my my, my younger brother, he is a, he's an incredible guy, but he has daughters. As a son, he has daughters, and he's good at he's good at all that stuff. But mama made you know he's cooking five course meals, and he's a football coach. So he's getting in there, getting hands dirty with the guys, and then he's he's combing hair, parting the parts, and and braiding the braids with the right. brats and the you know right. what I mean? Yeah, I mean he's good. He he's an mm-hmm. all around kind of guy, um, and he's working through a scenario where the woman he's with mm. does not know how to deal with that. What what do you do with a guy like that? And I submit that there is still something that is different about a woman, mm-hmm. right? Regardless of what you're doing, yes, there's an energy yeah, he yeah. brings yes. to the scenario. It's kind of like I was a single dad for a number of years, right? My oldest son is 24 now. The, the majority of his life, I was a single dad, right? And 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 as much as I loved him, as much as I would tell him all the time and show him in every kind of way that I possibly could, mm-hmm. I, I could never That's be his right. mom. Yeah, that's right. There's just something different that's right. that his that's mom right. brings to it. Her "I love you" and my "I love you" are both could be as 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 meaning as 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 um as an intentional um and as power packed as it could be. But it's still different when you hear "I love you" from your father and you hear "I love you" from your mama. It's just different. But I think that there's it's, something that we're eliminating from mm. this conversation, and that is. Everybody has not been raised to cultivate those, that inner part of who a woman really is. That's right. That's true. Mm -hmm. So so if I grew Mm -hmm. up without my mom and I had my dad and my brothers Mm -hmm. and my uncles, I'm going, and and they just, they did the best that they could, but they taught Mm -hmm. me how to work Mm -hmm. on a car. They didn't teach me how to cook. They taught me mm-hmm. how to fix the oven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't teach me how to make a home, but they taught me how to fix the refrigerator, mm-hmm. hang a light, uh, a chandelier, mm-hmm. and a ceiling fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
And so those other things that are traditionally what we look for in, in a, the female, the femininity of a female, those mm-hmm. were not cultivated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but, the, but the, le- yes, and the lesson in that is to make sure in those situations that you reach out somehow to try to create that balance for your child. So they, they have the most of both those worlds, even if it's not in the home, but they're at least in some way, they have an idea or a depiction of what that looks like. Because that is, that's that's an excellent point, Deborah. because so, it's, so, it's true for so many. But but there's something else, but there's something else. I'm gonna bring this one up. And, and this is a lot about me. I, I was a loner mm-hmm. even growing up. My mom died early. I was raised by my aunt. And I saw the things to do. So, yes, I can cook. But that loving, hugging, uh, embracing the intimacy, I never, uh, that was never really cultivated. I was more standoffish hmm. from that. And so I had to learn how to be that. And even with my son, when he was growing up, there would be times I would literally have to say, oh, he needs a hug. Let me hug him. Well, you know, or wow. I had to be intentional about it or I would naturally and think And I'll tell of you it. what's interesting for me, Deborah, is I, I guess innately and intrinsically, I am that. I am that affectionate, loving, extending person because it wasn't something that I had. I've always been told by people in my family and in my ex-husband's family that I brought that to their family. My earliest life memory was literally being molested in my foster home. That's my first memory in life, which is tragic. And I think that's why I have such a a strong urge to see myself as an infant. I've never seen any pictures of me before I was about six years old, five or six years old. And I think it's because Mm -hmm. there was an innocence of really being a child that existed prior to being three years old. So that's a yearning that I have. But going back to what I was saying, I have always been that person that my family said brought affection. My family, they didn't hug. They didn't, the I loves you didn't come every, I'm, I'm that person. So I think for me, it was innate. It wasn't something that I had to be exposed to or around. It's just who I was. So I've always brought that into whatever environments I am. And I'm still that way to this day. I hug perfect strangers. That's just who I am. So it's interesting because I hear what you're saying, but I think for me, it was a gift. Like I, I Maybe it's one of my gifts because it's just something I've always done. And trust me when I tell you, that wasn't something that was taught to me. I, had, I brought that into my family. It's not the other way around. Here's a question, Diana. Do you think that maybe the cultivation, I'm going to say cultivation, of that aspect of your personality was birthed I out do. of your suffering? Yeah. You know, I was getting, I was actually going to get to that. But I think out of my own desire and need to be loved, I extended love. Oh, and yes. that was one way to, I think for me, and without even thinking, I think it was subliminal, but it ensures that I get, it ensures me that I get that love. I'm very affectionate. I'm probably one of the most affectionate people I know. I really am. Wow. Yeah. And I I would, I would, I would, I I think that you're right a lot of times. And that's what I was kind of curious about because it seemed like that, that, um, 
reality I, I keep seeing in a lot of uh, people when I hear their life stories, how who they are now, how that was birthed out of some challenging experience they had at an earlier stage in their lives, mm-hmm. but how beneficial it is and how much of a, uh, a key pillar to who they are now uh, it is and how it yes, was developed and yes, how, you know, yes. those things are birthed out of that. And I think, you know, like you said, like the thing, you know, you talked about um, your book, mm-hmm. things that, you know, we get, we get from the Valley. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and there's so much of that. I'm so glad that you ladies have um, really kind of unpacked some of the dynamics of what it is um, uh, to be a woman and how some of that stuff may not have been cultivated. Mm-hmm. I- I'm curious though, you know, um, even in the sense that some of those things hadn't been cultivated in, you know, because of life or home environment or the structure of the family, whatever the case may be, is there something internal? This is just me as a guy mm-hmm. trying to learn more, right? Trying to understand more. Is there something that, that's just innate to you as a woman that drives you to do certain things, even though that might not have been how you were raised or, you know I mean? Is there something internal <laughs> that drives that? I'm going to say, I'm going to say for me, no, a lot of things had to be learned. Well, I'll say no to some things that, that align with intimacy and showing affection. Those just were not like natural for me. I really have to work, have had to work on, on developing that for me. And, and part of that is, um, the abandonment of losing my mom when I was so young. Uh, my aunt was very, very, very overprotective of me. Um, being molested when I was 12. And, and a lot of that caused me to draw back and not be open to receive intimacy, probably in some situations. Uh, our family did do a lot of hugging. It, it just didn't take <laughs> with me, <laughs> you know? And while I could talk and hold a conversation, I had to work on friendship. I had to work on, as I said, you know, showing that affection even to my son. Now, when I was pregnant, I, my friends were so afraid for my baby. They were, because I was like, I'm, I don't have that mother instinct. I don't have that. Well, what I learned is that once you have the baby, some of that just kicks in. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, some mm-hmm. stuff just kicks in. Mm-hmm. You understand the cry. Mm-hmm. You, you mm-hmm. understand what the need is. You understand what to do for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but as he grew older, I had to actually be very cognizant of giving hugs because it was not something that's natural. So in some ways... There, there, there may be some things that happen to us that um, overshadows those natural responses mm. that a, a female might give. But I think, too, a lot of it is about... You remember Dr. Uh, Verdi talked about nature and nurture? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. And I, I think a lot of that... Yeah, I think mm-hmm. a lot of that was about nurture it, it, mm-hmm. it didn't happen for with mm-hmm. me uh early on perhaps i i don't know it just and i you know we, we i've had we to got learn in, a lot when i was an undergrad we got into a debate about that to nature versus nurture and uh-huh. for me i definitely think it's an intrinsic gift for me i think it's yeah. intrinsic it's, it's nothing that ever had to be taught as yeah. far back as i can remember that is just always who I've been. But again, Chris did say something very interesting in that 
it may have been cultivated from my need for mm-hmm. affection mm-hmm. and not having. But I think I have me being the person that I am. If I want, I'm a go getter. If I want something, I'm going for it. Yeah. And maybe that's just an intrinsic part of that whole aspect of who I am and my being as a human being and as a woman is if I want something, I know that I'm completely responsible for ensuring that I get it. Now we, we're 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 in agreement on that. That I have that drive, mm-hmm. that determination. Once mm-hmm. I see it, mm-hmm. I, it's gonna happen. It's gonna yeah. happen. That's it. It's going down. <laughs> so here's a question for you. This is such good. I'm telling y'all, y'all. Bless yeah, we gonna have soul. to do a part two on this. And we're gonna have two. <laughs> yes, yes. There, there's so much. I really feel like there's so much meat that I think women can be blessed by, but I think really men can be blessed by to understand Mm. when you pull the curtain back, like here's what makes her heart beat. Here's, you know, you know, making space for her to be uniquely her. And like you said, not every woman is just innately, you know, just all, you know, maybe there's, there are some women who are built in a certain way that are Mm -hmm. more Mm -hmm. dainty, you know what I mean? And some Mm -hmm. that are not, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Some Mm -hmm. that you can be like, hey, let's go to the gun range. Let's go chop down this tree together. You know what I mean? Some (laughs) be like, hey, you know, let's Mm -hmm. go get the Manny Patty. You know what I mean? I can do that too. I can do that too now. You know what I mean? I'm telling you, I'm telling you. So, so here's a question, um, you know, as, as we kind of bring this thing on, on the end and land the plane, when it comes to women leaders mm. and the unique flavor that women bring to every equation, right? Mm. And then women leaders navigating these challenging times and the mm. varieties of ways that we mm-hmm. are challenged, right? You know, we just kind of kind of came through a crazy political season. Things seem like they're kind of starting to maybe the dust is starting to settle a little bit, but mm. maybe not. Mm-hmm. That's still to be seen. Uh, but how how would we how would you um how would you advise a, a, a woman now we, and we're not saying that a leader is just someone who is in corporate America mm-hmm. I mean there are varieties of places just her being her she might be an artist you know she may mm-hmm. be a mm-hmm. you know how would you advise a woman leader navigating these times utilizing some of these gifts that that they have, they've been gifted with, or or some some things that have been cultivated from some challenging experiences they they've lived through. What 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 words of advice would you share? I would love to end it with this for what I would say on that. Um, I love to tell people, and and every time I get interviewed, I, I pray I get a chance to share this. The title of my book, the inspiration of the title of my book, "Everything Grows in the Valley." So I had an experience years and years ago where I went on my first cruise, um, the person that the young woman that was roommating with me was privy to the fact that I had never seen a real mountain. And that morning, our ship uh, ported into British Victoria, Columbus, uh, Canada. And uh, she screamed that morning. I woke up to her screaming, saying, Diana, you have got to come out here and see this. So when I got out on the balcony, I looked at the mountain, this this beautiful, majestic mountain, and literally tears were going down, streaming down my face. And I'm looking, and you know, intrinsically, I just look at the top of the mountain because, of course, that's what gets all the glory. That's what everybody's talking about. That's where everybody wants to get. And so I'm looking up there, and me being who I am, I just remember my face kind of frowned up, and I'm looking up there, and I'm like, I, I'm trying to understand what's the big deal with the top of the mountain. You know, it's cold, it's barren, nobody's up there. Like, what, why is that? 
what's going on? Because the beauty that I saw was right in front of me in the valley. And the foundation of that mountain was that valley. Everything that made that mountain beautiful and majestic and amazing was in that valley. The birds, the foliage, the streams, the rivers. And I immediately thought about life and about our journey and about how we have to embrace those valleys, those circumstances that happen to us that stretch us sometimes beyond what we think is our capacity. But we have to learn to lean into them and embrace them to grow into the leaders, the women that we're supposed to be. Take those challenges and use those challenges to cultivate greatness within yourself because there is pain, purpose in our pain. Those things are happening for a reason. God is doing something with us. So lean into the experiences and never second guess yourself because even those things that we trip over, those challenges, those times when we didn't get it right, all cultivate our innate uh, purpose, our preordained purpose, those things that we were designed to do that will serve the world, serve our purpose, serve others. Those are the things that got us there. Those, the grit and the grime of it, not just the the pretty, the 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 the, the colorful, the 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 all that stuff is also the grit and the grime. So lean into every experience and embrace all of it. Don't pick and choose. Embrace the whole thing. Wow. That is beautiful and powerful. I think we ought to end right there. <laughs> <laughs> before right we keep going, there. before we keep going. <laughs> Listen. I, I think you said you said so. You spoke to what sometimes women forget about who they are. I think that there is a power and a strength Mm. that we have that shapes and molds and develops no matter where we are. No matter what. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's it. No matter what environment we're Mm -hmm. in, Mm -hmm. we we were made to be nurturers. Mm -hmm. And while all of us are not mothers per se, there is something still within us that that provides that nurture, Mm -hmm. that molding, that shaping, Mm -hmm. that developing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when we when we lock into it, it doesn't matter the environment. That's right. That's whether right. it's corporate, whether whether it's finance, mm-hmm. whether it's banking, mm-hmm. whether it's education, mm-hmm. it comes through. Yes. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I agree. I, I'm one of those folks that uh, <clears throat> I believe, it's funny, I was having this conversation, I was thinking about, again, my mother, you know, again, like I said, one of the strongest women that I know, um, and how loves planting and taking care of flowers. Mm-hmm. She has a green thumb. Mm-hmm. I mean, both her thumbs are green. I'm mm-hmm. talking about every spring, you know, every summer, mm-hmm. you know, in the fall, she's transitioning her flowers. Mm-hmm. I've learned so much just about flowers and all different kinds of flowers and how you mm-hmm. take care of them mm-hmm. just by watching her do it. Again, one of the strongest people that you know, she puts you in the headlock and kind of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She can tackle you to the ground uh, and put you, you know what I mean? She can get <laughs> you together. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Get you together. <laughs> but, but, but was soft and sensitive enough to handle a delicate flower that right? part. and grow it. Yes. You know what I mean? It was, yes. And I, I told my mom, I, said, I, I discovered, I said, mom, you know what? I think that God created women to be beautifiers. 
mm. right? To make mm. places beautiful. Mm. I, I remember being a, 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 you know, my years a single guy and just, you know, kind of, you know, hanging around with the guys and would have female friends that would come over to the house and they, you, they said, you can tell when a woman's been there or a woman's touch is there. Mm. Mm. And I was like, really? How can you tell? And they were just pointing out little small details. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, anytime as a guy, I was like, mom, come on in. I need your help. I ain't good with, you know, pop colors and contrast mm-hmm. colors. And I, look, help me get this thing together. So mom would help get, <laughs> you know. And they, they'd be like, you know, I can tell a woman's been here. And I'm like, really? Wow. I mean, this is my crib. You know, how do you tell a woman's been here? And there was just something that they could tell. Yeah. And, and it was it was unique. It's a, there's something unique about women that just makes things beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that that's part of what God did with y'all. Not mm-hmm. only, you know, who what he made a woman to be in her own beauty, mm-hmm. but I, I think that that's what she brings to an environment. And it, mm-hmm. it, it, it could be fleshed out in a, a myriad of ways. I just think that that's part of that feminine presence. Yes, that's just yes, me, right? yes, yes. Um, and I and I appreciate you sharing and 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 obviously Deborah, you know I, I you know you you the you the you the best, you know what I mean? Yes, yes. I, I glean that from every conversation, but I mean, you know, I really appreciate the time that you spent with us, Diana. Thank yeah, you so much. Thank and you one for of the having things me. We typically do. Uh, absolutely. One of the things we typically do is we uh, we like to ask our guests three questions. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in with the first, and then Deborah, you can take it from there. Uh, so the first question is, what books are you reading? Oh boy. Okay. I just finished reading the four agreements. Um, I am also reading, um, right now, um, um, self mastery. Uh, uh, let me do right here in my life saying I'm sitting right by it. So learning to lead by, uh, I mean, dare to lead by Dr. Brene Brown and the wisdom walk to self mastery by Jojo pasta Norma. Those are the three books I'm reading right now. And again, I just finished reading the four agreements. By Don awesome. Miguel Ruiz. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, I was just introduced to that author, Don Miguel Ruiz, oh gosh, through amazing. Dr. Verdi Leatherman mm-hmm. and some training she was doing mm-hmm. for us uh, at my workplace. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so the next question, Diana, is what's in your ear? What are you listening to as it relates to music? Listen, <laughs> I am a bona fide <laughs> jazz connoisseur. I am all <laughs> things jazz. And I, I say this, I'm, it's not always popular with, with the gospel folks, but uh, jazz does for me what gospel does for a lot of other people. And I'm not saying, because I love my praise and worship music, especially in the morning. However, I, I uh, my problem with some gospel music is it starts off with a nice calm, and before you know it, they're hollering and screaming, and I can't do that first thing in the morning. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just okay, but don't hate me, y'all. I I love, my, but but yeah, for jazz, I'm all things jazz. So you put me on some Boney or some Brian Coberson or some Norman Brown or some Marion Meadows or uh, 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 uh Richard Elliott or David <laughs> Benoit. I'm talking about. I can go on and on and on. <laughs> yes, yes, that sounds good. That's good. Last question. Last question. Okay, so you got we got your books, you got your music. Mm-hmm. Now you know both of those can be associated with, with a particular thing. Last question: Will you to chill? How do you chill? How do you get away? What do you do? Uh, for me, um, uh, if I'm really stressed, 
I'm telling you right now, it's automatic. I'm going to fill up my garden tub. I'm going to light some candles. I'm going to put on some jazz and a small glass of wine by the tub. And that's a nice chilled evening for me. That's how I pull it in and relax when I've been stressed out. That's good. That's good. All right. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for Diana having me. I enjoyed myself. You two are amazing. <laughs> we got to do this again, y'all. <laughs> Yeah. Look, we will, we will, we will. So, uh, Chris, you ready for our clothes? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Listen, we, we are so glad that you all have spent some time with us and our and our incredible guests. Uh, we are here. It's Real Life Podcast, where our key pillars are real hope, real love, and real, real life. life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. See you next time.